This is week six of a nine-week series talking about the fruit of the Spirit and what it looks like in our life. And the main idea of this series has been the entire time Christ-likeness grows up in us so that Christ-likeness flows out of us. That as we pour ourselves into Christ more and more and more, he changes us from the inside out and his likeness begins to come out of our life. It begins to flow from us. And everything we've done this year, preaching-wise, has been centered around the image of God in our life. Every series is kind of based on that idea, God's image in our life. And you wonder, why is that so important? It's important because what you believe about yourself affects what you do. What you believe about yourself affects what you do. Um, it's why self-image is so important in, in young children. And I talk to so many people as they get older who say, well, I'm not a creative person. And I would just simply say, well, what you believe about yourself affects what you do. You ever see a, a young child who says, well, I'm not good at math. I can't do math. And say, well, what you believe about yourself affects what you do. And so I want to begin with kind of a belief question this morning as we start. And it's a, a really simple question, and I think I probably know the answer that most of you would give. But do you believe you are a good person? Do you believe that you are a good person? <coughs> And my guess is that almost every single person in here would say, yeah, mo most of the time. And, and it's because when we ask that question, all of us think about what we do. We don't necessarily think about who we are. We think about what we do. Are my actions good? Is what we do Good. There was a, a, a group of researchers out of the University of North Carolina back in 2005 that did some extensive study in the religious landscape of our country and really our world. And they were asking the question, what is the most prominent religion in our country, in the United States of America? And this guy named Christian Smith discovered the, the most um, or the, the largest concentration. Um, he had to create a new name for it. And he called it this, moral therapeutic deism. The largest religion across the board, from whether you're talking to Christians or Hindus or Muslims or atheists, here's what most people said the object of their religion was. Moral therapeutic deism. And they didn't say it like that. That was the terms that he gave. But moral, I need to be a good person. So... God wants me to be a good person. Therapeutic. God wants me to feel good about myself. He wants me to be happy. And deism, there is a God. Large, largely, that's what they found as they looked across. And that idea that God wants me to be a good person and he wants me to feel good, I think is so big in our culture and our world today. And I ask that question, do you think you're a good person? I would imagine that almost every single person in this room would say, well, 
Yeah. So the first time the word good is used in the Bible is in the Old Testament, in the story of Genesis, in the creation of the world. And God says, after he creates the light, that it is good. And the word he uses here is the word tov. It's a Hebrew word, and it means good, but it really means the best things, prosperity, beauty, happiness, blessing, well-being. It's the goodness of creation, and as God creates the world, he steps back, he sees what he has created, and he says, it is good. And he gives people the power to manipulate and use creation for good, to continue to take it in a good direction. But what happens very early in the project is people begin to use goodness for their own selfish desires, for evil purposes. They take the good creation in a direction that it was never intended to go. And you start to see death and destruction as the result of taking God's good creation and going in a direction that it was never intended to go. But the beauty of this creation is that it's not perfect. And I always found that interesting. As God creates the world, he looks at it and he says, it is good. He doesn't create the world and say, it is perfect. And there is a Hebrew word for perfect. But he doesn't use that here. He uses the word good. And it's interesting, if you look at the creation, everything is not perfect. There is light in creation, but there is also darkness. There is death in creation, but there is also resurrection and new life. There is an end to things, and there is a new beginning to things all within the goodness of creation. So there is the light and there is the darkness. But then there are these plants. And they grow up and they have the ability to reproduce themselves. And the seed falls to the ground. And as Paul says, it dies. It doesn't necessarily really die. But it dies to the fact that it's a seed. And it really transforms and becomes something else. There are days and the sun rises and brings a new day. And then the sun goes down and it's the end of a day. And then there are seasons. And there is fall. Well, let's, actually, let's start with summer. There's summer, which we're in right now. And there's fall. And then there's winter, which is darker and colder. And what happens in winter to the plants and different... They die. And then there comes spring... And they're reborn. And so there's this flow of life. There's this cycle. And then if you've ever been around a human birth, I would say it's anything but perfect. It, it's a bit messy, right? And, and it's a bit scary if you've ever been there. Because there's this, this moment when this new child comes out where there's, you're kind of holding your breath like, is this new child, is this new life going to actually make it? And he gives creation the power and the ability to make something beautiful out of what he has given them. 
It's not just here is the creation, I'm going to continue to create. But he gives the creation the ability to take this good creation in a beautiful direction. But what you need to understand, if you don't possess the power to make a mess of things, how could you expect to possess the power to make something beautiful? So God places man and woman in the garden, and he says, I want you to work the ground. I want you to take care of them. I want you to steward my goodness. I want you to be a steward and take it in this new direction. But what happens is they take creation in the direction it wasn't intended to go. Back in 1918, a man named Edward Luciano was the conductor of one of the most famous um, subway crashes, train derailments in the history of the United States. 102 people died in it. And it was interesting to look at the facts of this story. Edward Luciano was actually a switchboard conductor. He had nothing to do with driving a train. But that morning, um, the motormen went on strike. And Luciano, with his two hours of in-depth training, was put in charge of driving the subway car with hardly any notes. On top of that, the week before, he had lost his three-year-old daughter to a sickness that was running throughout the city of New York. And he was put in this position to drive this train. And as they approached this curve, there was a place where they were supposed to slow down to six miles an hour around this curve. But the untrained driver did not know and did not realize his responsibility. And he took the curve on this underground, underground subway at 30 miles an hour, derailing the, the train into a concrete embankment, killing 102 people. This train that had a track, that had a direction that it was supposed to be going. And it finds at the end death and destruction pain and hurt as these people are forced to deal with his inexperience, with his mistake. They have to deal with the repercussions. And I think as we look at events that happened yesterday, we see creation off course. The direction that it was intended to go. People who were supposed to be going and taking God's good creation and making something good and beautiful out of it. Have taken the power that they possess and taken creation in directions it was not intended to go. And God never says, well, it's just going to be easy. And there's not going to be destruction. There's not going to be pain. But if you take creation and use it in a, a way it was not intended to be used, if you don't steward it for good, then this is going to be the result. And you look around our world today, and you see evidence of this everywhere. And I think our inclination is to jump to blame an accusation. We need to point the finger at someone. 
the shooter. It's his family. It's his educational system. It's the people on the other side of the aisle from us. We, we need blame and accusation, but understand this, that is the spirit of Satan. That, that is what Hasatan means in Hebrew, accusation and blame. And the very first thing we want to do, we want to jump to, is blame and accusation, pointing the finger at someone. But yet there is another spirit that is followers of Jesus that is supposed to be filling our life. It is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. And it's that spirit that is supposed to be within us that is flowing out of us. And I think it's difficult as we, we see events like this to talk about goodness and to talk about God being good. Because at times it's really difficult to see through the haze and the mess and the destruction and the carnage and say, well, God is good. There's a story in Exodus 33. As God has been with Moses on the mountain and the people have kind of gone their own direction. And God is meeting with Moses after the golden calf we talked about a week or two ago. And he says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And Israel's response, Moses' response is, okay, that, that's not good. If you're going to send us somewhere, and we are truly going to be your people, then you must go with us. And if you aren't going to go with us, then don't send us. Don't ask us. Because it's just going to make a mess of things. And so Moses begins to plead and beg with God that his presence would go with them. In verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So Moses' request to God is, if you're not going to go with us, then don't send us. If you're not going to be there, then don't send us. And then he asked him this question that is so just in God's face. And I love this about Moses. He's constantly pushing into God. 
and saying, here, come on, give me. God, I, I want to know you. And it's not just I want to know about you. God, it's I want to know you. And you say you know me. But I want to know you as intimately as you know me. I want to have this relationship with you. And if we can't have that, if you, as your people, if we can't be with you, then we don't want to be a part of what you're doing. Don't, don't send us. And then, in verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. And this is that part of, of Moses just pressing into God. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. The word in Hebrew is kavod, and it means weight or significance. It's an attribute of God. God, I want to see the fullness of your presence. I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship. I want to see the fullness of your presence on display so that everyone can see that you are God. I want everyone to know that you have sent us because you are with us and you're taking care of us and you're providing for us and you're going before us. God, I need you to be there. And God looks at Moses. And he says, the very thing you have asked, I will do. He says in verse 19, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Moses asked God to see his glory. And God says, I will show you my goodness. What is Moses asking? God, show me your glory. Show me your essence. Show me who you are at the very core. And God says, I will show you my goodness. The essence of God is his goodness. And I find it fascinating that Moses' request is to see God's glory. And God says, I will show you my goodness. You, you want to see my glory? You want to see what my glory looks like? It's my goodness. But Moses, you can't see all of my glory. Because if you see all of my glory, you're going to die. You, you can't handle all of it. And he says to Moses, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. I'm going to protect you. Notice that God gives Moses not what he asks for, but what he needs. 
I want to see the fullness of your glory. I'm going to show you my goodness. He gives him not what he asked for, but what he needs. And I wonder at times if it's not difficult to see God's goodness because we are covered by his hand in the cleft of the rock. And he's not giving us what we ask for, but he's giving us what we need. Because the selfish side of God could have said, well, you want to see my glory? Here it is, Moses. Now you're done. But true goodness is void of selfishness. True goodness does not say, okay, you want to see all of me? You want to see all of my glory? Here it is, Moses. God gives Moses what he needs and not what he asked for. And I know you needed that job to work out. It's what we need, and that's what we're asking for. And, it, and we needed the marriage to make it through the rocky times. And we needed our family to be there to support us. And we needed a different diagnosis. And I wonder at times if we fail to see God's goodness because we're covered by his hand. And in fact, God is not giving us what we ask for, but what we need. Because true goodness is void of selfishness. When I was in youth ministry at West Hill, we went through this preacher search. And I think I've told you the story. It's been several, several years ago. Um, but we were in the middle of this preacher search. And a couple of people started saying, well, hey, you should, you should preach during this, this time where we don't have a youth ministry. And I said, that would be great. And I started preaching. And it was April, and I, I preached quite a few sermons. And it was May, and I preached quite a few more sermons. And then it was June. And I preached all five Sundays of that June. Plus, I went to two camps with kids. And I was gone from my family every night. And when I came home to my family, it was, I'm going to go over here and prepare so I can be ready to preach the next day. At the end of June, my wife, we came home from church, and I was just, you know, everyone, hey, good job. We thank you for doing this. We're so thankful for you. Feeling so great. And Cammie says, if you preach one more Sunday, I'm going to Oklahoma for the rest of the summer. I'm glad you all think it's funny. Because it was a wake-up call to me. Because what I thought I was doing was so good. But I think more, the more I look at it, it was selfishness disguised as goodness. And what happens, I think, so many times is we want to focus on me being a better good person. And we start looking inward. And we start seeing what's inside of us. And we start trying harder and harder and harder to be that good person. 
but goodness is void of selfishness. And it does not flow naturally, I don't think, out of us. Unless we're just simply pouring our life into Christ. And the more we become like Him, the more His goodness begins to flow out of us. And Moses' request was simply to see God, to, to know Him. And I think the Hebrew writer does such a beautiful job as he starts his letter. He says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Does you want to know what God is like? Do you, do you want to know what God has to say to you? Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is who God is. The exact representation of his being. And I think so many times we want to pour into ourselves and lift ourselves up and make ourselves stronger. And I think the Hebrew writer just goes on constantly to say, no, pour into Christ and allow him to be the foundation. Allow him to be everything because he is the exact representation of God's glory. Become like him by abiding in him. The, the psalmist, I think, was so in tune with this. David, as he says, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. you go back to the creation in the beginning what God creates and what God makes is good and it has the power you have the power to take that goodness in a beautiful direction and I think the reason we struggle with that question are you good is because we tie it so much to what we do. And I think we might misread Romans and Psalms at times. Because there's a verse that I've always, I've always misread, really misquoted. And it's in chapter 3, verse 12. It says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I've always misread that. I've always assumed what it said was there is no one who is good. What you do is not who you are. What I do know is what God created is good. 
And more than that, he has sent his goodness, the glory of his son, to dwell within you. The radiance of his glory to live within you. What God created is good. Now go and be what God has already declared you are. But that does not start with you and I trying to be a better, good person. It starts with abiding in Jesus and allowing His Spirit to fill us up for His goodness to change us, for His goodness to grow up in us so that His goodness flows out of us. The answer to all the shooting and all the devastation that we see We want there to be a physical, something that we can do right now. We can abide in Jesus. And we can put our hope and our trust in him. And we can trust that he says he's changing and transforming the world through his people, his priests, his representatives. Like the psalmist says, wait on the Lord. Have courage, take heart, and wait on the Lord. May his goodness flow from us. Go and be what God has already declared you are. Father, today, you have called us good because you created us. But we know at times, Father, we don't do what is good and what is right and that there is no one who is righteous not even one and we have all sinned and we all fall short of your glory but that does not change who we are who we were created as and Father what you have called good And given the power to go and create and steward that good. To create and and make beauty in this world. Father, may we hold on to it. May, May we find ourselves in your image. Transformed and changed more like Jesus. And Father, would you transform and change the world through your people, through our hands and our feet, through our mouths, as we love this world, we love the people of this world, those those that you have called good, in spite of the things they do. And Father, where there is destruction and where there is death and where there is pain, may we be a light in the darkness that shows forth your goodness. Father, may your glory The glory of your goodness shine through our lives in the midst of death and destruction, in the midst of creation, of course. May we bring the hope of Jesus to this world. And Father, today we offer this special prayer for those who are in El Paso, those who are in Ohio, those who have lost loved ones, family, and friends those who serve our country, those law enforcement officers, those first responders, 
those people who willingly sacrifice themselves day in and day out. Father, would you protect them and keep them strong? And Father, as we search for the answers in the midst of the pain and the difficulty and the hurt and the pain and death and destruction, Father, may we simply pour our lives more into you. Change us, Father. May we leave here filled with hope. Wanting to take your love into this world. We love you, Jesus. We remain confident in this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus.